Welcome to God is Open. On today's Minnesota, we are going to be going over Charnuk, Stephen Charnuk's definition of omniscience. Uh, I, I used his definition, and it's a pretty common definition. You'll find it in a lot of systematic theologies because it's very robust in trying to get to the root issues of what they believe and why they believe it. And so in my debate, you would hear me often describe the omniscience that classical theism attributes to God in terms of it being unfalsifiable, it being simple, it being innate, ungenerated, non-dependent, non-discursive, right? It can't have dependencies. It can't have parts. It's a single instance of knowledge without parts or predicates and is identical to God in classical theism because all that is in God is God according to the classic theistic model. But uh, Charnuk Stephen, uh, he describes this, and his, his is pretty robust because he really wants to press to his audience what they believe, the specifics of that belief, and why those specifics exist. He says, God knows all things independently. This is essential to an infinite understanding. He receives not his knowledge from anything without him. So let's let's think about this. If God didn't know things independently. Let's say something exists, and because that thing exists, now God gains that knowledge. Now, something that's in God is dependent on something outside of God. That thing is greater than God, or gives God some sort of greatness that, by which God would be deficient if he doesn't have. So it makes God dependent on others for his greatness. Again, these are Platonistic categories and value sets. This is this is what is driving this definition. This is what's driving this understanding. So that's why any any example in the Bible of God learning from anything violates every single one of these tenets, these propositions, that these these definitions of knowledge. There's someone who said, hey, can I you give a proof text, go through all all these little uh, attributes of omniscience and give a proof text to defeat each of them? Well, one proof text does them all because all of them are interlinked and interdependent. One instance of God learning will undo all of this. So he says, this is Charnuk again, he receives not his knowledge from anything without him, he has no tutor to instruct him or book to inform him. Then he quotes Isaiah as if that's what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah is talking about his special metaphysics. Yeah, I don't think so. He has no need of the counsels of others, nor of the instructions of others. This follows upon the first and second propositions. So you see something happening here, this Mott and Bailey tactic in which you make outrageous claims and then your defense of those claims you go back to a more defensible claim and so isaiah says uh who's been god's counselor it's a rhetorical question to say you can't pull god around you can't uh, manipulate god and uh, he uses that as his broad evidence for god knows all things independently is is that is that even a valid conclusion from the rhetorical question who has been God's counselor? And we have examples of God's counselors throughout the Bible. We got the counsel scene in First Kings twenty two, in which God takes input from people to make decisions. You have Abraham, uh, you have Moses, even 
having conversations with God and giving God input. God takes input from outside himself. So there's been a lot of people who've been as counselors, but that as a general rule of thumb, God doesn't have counselors who are giving God better ideas to implement all the time or or being the superior in a in a relationship in which God's king and has some sort of counselor who's who's his go-to guy to to feed him ideas anything like that that doesn't exist Charnock writes this falls upon the first and second propositions if he knows things by his essence then as his essence is independent from creatures so is his knowledge we talked a little bit about that already he borrows not any images from the creatures has no species or picture of things in his understanding as we have, nor beams from the creature strike upon him to enlighten him, but beams from him upon the world. The earth sends not light to the sun, but the sun to the earth. So we're already getting a kind of a picture of God's inner workings. God doesn't have memories like we would. He doesn't see pictures in his head. All his knowledge is direct and immediate and not dependent on those things outside himself right so god can't have like a memory flashback like you're going to see in a movie um that would be a wrong type of understanding of what type of knowledge it's it's a simple knowledge our knowledge indeed depends upon the object but all created objects depend upon god's knowledge and will we could not know creatures unless they were but creatures could not be unless god knew them as nothing that he wills is the cause of his will so nothing that he knows is the cause of his knowledge so this is the crazy idea that if God creates something, then he has to know what he created in detail. And that thing can't provide new type of knowledge to God that God didn't have before God created that creature. It's an insane reasoning, uh, but they make this argument. It's a non sequitur. He did not make things to know them. Well, that's kind of like uh, not true. In Genesis, we see God making man, and then his first act is watching to see what Adam would call the animals. Yeah, he does create man in order to know man and to figure out who this man creature is. And so it's, it's not a biblical concept. He says he did not make things to know them, but he knows them to make them. Who will imagine that the mark of a foot in the dust is the cause of the foot stands in this or that particular place? If his knowledge did depend upon the things, then the existence of those things did Proceed God's knowledge of them. To say that they are the cause of God's knowledge is to say that God was not the cause of their being and if he did create them. Notice this mindset. Platonistic mindset might not make sense to us at all. Like I create a lot of things. Uh, I created my babies, right? Yep, I, I, I created them. And guess guess what? I don't know them, right? It's, it's, not, it, it's not immediate that you know everything about your creation. I've created other things. I've created computer programs, things like that. You might not know intricately your creation, and you might learn things from your creation. But in the Platonistic model, that's a no-go. You can't have God creating something with features that he doesn't know about. I always like their analogies, which are absolute nonsense. So they'll just start talking just... They're like, oh, these this series of words sounds nice, and so um, this will be my analogy. And then people will be like, wow, what a great intellect. He says, who will imagine that the mark of the foot in the dust is the cause that the foot stands in this or that particular place? He's saying, who will imagine that the footprint is the cause of the foot? So in that way, who will imagine 
that a creature can give information to God about the creature. Okay. Typically, analogies are made to illustrate points, but you'll find in Calvinist rhetoricians, people who talk rhetoric, that these analogies just serve to be flowery language, right? It doesn't explain anything. It's just some sort of way to try to prick the emotional sensibilities of the listeners with flowery language to give it some sort of emphasis. It's, it's not to explain anything whatsoever. It's just empty words. To say that they are the cause of God's knowledge is to say that God was not the cause of their being. And if he did create them, it was affected by a blind and ignorant power. Again, these are just assertions. And so assertions without evidence can be rejected without evidence. Yeah, I wouldn't say that God wasn't the cause of their being because God learned something about something he created. It's a non sequitur. And if he did create them, it was affected by a blind and ignorant power. Well, those are your own evaluations. And your mental processing power has not so far had very good evidence to support how well you function mentally, right? And so your claims, I'm just going to discount because I don't think you're intelligent enough to make these claims. He created, he knew not what till he had produced it. Yeah, that's the biblical story. If he had beholden for his knowledge to the creatures he has made, then he has no knowledge of them before he made them. Oh, is, is, is that... Is that a logical, rational claim that you have no knowledge of something? If if you learn any anything from something you made, that means before you created it, you had no knowledge of it, right? Is that does again? All these claims they're using Platonistic value sets and Platonistic logic. They're not common sense and they're absolutely ludicrous if just given a little bit of understanding, like. Even if I make a program that I don't understand 100%, I'm going to know a lot about that program that I programmed, right? Because I programmed it, I'm going to know a lot about it, even though some of the details and some of the outputs I might not know. Especially if I'm using random number generation, right? If, if that's something that I could put in my program, I'm definitely not going to know the outputs of that program, even though maybe I even bound those inputs. Maybe I'm used programming a card game, uh, 21, and uh, I program all the cards in, but then I randomize which cards get drawn and played. I'm going to know a lot about how that game functions without knowing every single one of those outputs. So this is a non sequitur. It's just him talking his nonsense. If his knowledge were dependent on them, it could not be eternal, but must have a beginning when the creatures had a beginning and be no longer a date than since the nature of things was in actual existence. Yes, God learns things at the time that those things happen, quite often within the Bible. Yes, that is true. For whatsoever is a cause of knowledge doth precede the knowledge it causes, either in order of time or order of nature, temporal things, therefore cannot be the cause of that knowledge which is eternal. He's using his own definition of eternal, which is like timelessness, which is not a biblical value, it's not a biblical concept. His works could not be foreknown to him if his knowledge commenced with the existence of his works. Does that make any sense? I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And uh, five years ago, I didn't know what I was going to do tomorrow. 
I don't think, I think that's another non sequitur. You could foreknow things that you decide or plan to do at some point in time. It says his works could not be foreknown to him if his knowledge commenced with the existence of his works. Usually you plan to do your work before you actually do that work. So complete non sequitur. If he knew them before he made them, he could not derive a knowledge from them after they were made. Okay, um, what, are, what are you using the word know? How, how is that word being used? Define what it means to know something. Typically, our knowledge is justified true belief, or even in the case of future events, I know I'm going to travel for the holidays, and it, once it happens, you say, hey, uh, I knew that this was going to happen. No one's going to say no. You didn't actually know that because my definition of knowledge means that you can't uh, ever be wrong in it, right? No, it, it happened. I knew it was going to happen. It's knowledge. You can have knowledge of the future, falsifiable events. And so how is he using the word knowledge here? He's using it in a Platonistic sense in which there's eternal propositions with eternal truth values and that must line up independently in God's mind. And that's how God has that knowledge. So he's, he's, he's sliding in some nonsensical, idiosyncratic definitions of his words in order to make these claims. And he's not defining those definitions. He probably doesn't even know that what he's doing because typically people in, in theological spheres, they just like to presuppose these things. They, they, it's, they, they've, they're, they've gone so far out of the realm of reality that it's not even a consideration to explain that they're not operating anywhere close to normal dictionary definitions. If he knew them before he made them, he could not derive a knowledge from them after they were made. Well, often God's plans are pretty solid in the end results, but the way to get there is fairly flexible and fluid. And so, yeah, God can derive knowledge from things that he planned to do in the future. It's, it's not this absolute that this guy's claiming. He made all things in wisdom. How can this be imagined if things known were the cause of his knowledge? And so before his knowledge and therefore before his actions, God would not be the first in order of knowing agents. Again, just all nonsense. These are just a combination of words. God would not then be the first in order of knowing agents because he would not act by knowledge, but act before he knew and know after he had acted. And so the creature which he made would be before the act of his understanding. Again, all of this is ir irrelevant if you use just normal definitions of knowledge and understanding. It doesn't have to be based on a creature or anything like that. You just, just have general understandings of propositions that may or may not be true and may not be true in the exact way that you conceptualized it, but could still know the future in that respect, right? Even though it just generally fits what you expected to happen. And that's, that's our normal definition of knowledge. It's out the window when we come to theology. Again, since knowledge is a perfection, if God's knowledge of creatures depended upon the creatures, he would derive an excellency from them. They would derive no excellency from any idea in the divine mind. He would not be infinitely perfect in himself. So this is the Platonistic value set that whatever is perfect is doesn't change and can't derive from other things, because if it derives from other things, then those other things are more perfect than it. You know, like the Calvinists, so if you're talking to a Calvinist and they say, if man's will is ever done 
uh, rather than gods, then they're more powerful than God. That's a non sequitur. You just kind of made that up. You threw words together, but your value set you're using is very Platonistic. The idea here is that if someone gives knowledge or information to God, then God is made more perfect. And there goes your divine perfection theology, your dignum dio philosophy. Whatever is the most fitting of God is, is the true thing about God. So they make up a value set and then they impose that on their understanding of who God is. They would derive no excellency from the idea in the divine mind. He would not be infinitely perfect in himself. If his perfection in knowledge were gained from anything without himself and below himself, he would not be sufficient of himself. Oh no, there goes aseity. There goes being pure actuality. That God now has dependencies. Oh no, all, all those things are out the window. He would not be sufficient in himself, but be under an indignance which wanted a supply from things he had made and could not be eternally perfect till he had created and seen the effects of his own power, goodness, and wisdom to render him more wise and knowing in time than he was from eternity. Oh no, God gaining something means that God's not perfect. Oh wow, yeah, that's, that's so terrible. We should not believe that at all. Who can fancy such a God as this without destroying the deity he pretends to adore? For if his understanding be perfected by something without him, why may not his essence be perfected by something without him, that as he was made knowing by something without him, he might be made God by something without him? How could his understanding be infinite if it dependent on a finite object as upon a cause? This is why... Our podcast talks a lot about Platonism and Platonistic values. You'll actually see it when people do real theology. These systematic theologies, they steep themselves in Platonistic value sets and reason upon it. You see it quite evident here. This dignum dio philosophy takes precedence over anything that the Bible says. The Bible is only referenced accidentally, indirectly, not in context, and to double down on paragraphs of metaphysical, nonsensical, non sequitur claims. This is how the Bible is being used. But these are not biblical value sets that we're, we're discussing here. Notice this like ad hominem. It's like, oh, these idiots who, who uh, they think that uh, God can gain knowledge. Oh, man, how can anyone believe in a God like that? That's, that's so terrible. How could his understanding be infinite if it dependent upon a finite object as upon a cause? Is the majesty of God to be debased to a medicant condition to, uh, to seek for a supply from things inferior to himself? So this is an argument from incredulity. It's like, how can this be the case? Oh man, that would be so bad if that were true. Is it to be imagined that a fool, a toad, a fly should be assistant to the knowledge of God, that the most noble being should be perfected by things so vile? So think about this. Every single proposition is given some sort of value. And so if God, quote unquote, learns the location of a fly as a fly flies around the world, then that knowledge somehow gives additional value to God. Right, so we're we live in a hierarchy of value sets in which things are trying to maximize their value, and we're looking for that ultimate value. The whole metaphysics that this is claiming 
not biblical metaphysics. This is all Platonism. So in the Bible, God has omniscience, particularly visual omniscience of man and man's actions, and that's what God cares about. So if God doesn't know the location of a fly, it doesn't demean him or degrade him. It's just irrelevant and useless knowledge. A lot of times, how about rock movements at the bottom of the ocean in the middle of the Atlantic? Doesn't matter. Rocks on Pluto doesn't matter. And so it's not like having an extra knowledge proposition in your knowledge set makes you like like that much more valuable. Like it gives you an extra piece of value. No, it's it's only in this weird hierarchy where you're looking for perfect beings do we assign these values and think that it adds value to God. Not biblical. These are not biblical metaphysics. These are not biblical value sets. That the most noble being should be perfected by things so vile that the supreme cause of all things should receive any addition of knowledge and be determined in his understanding by the notion of things so mean to conclude this particular all things depend on its knowledge. His knowledge depends on nothing, but is as independent as himself and his own essence. God creates dependencies if God has knowledge of things outside himself. So in that sense, God's knowledge needs to be innate. It needs to be ungenerated. We talked about being non-discursive. He can't recall memories, anything like that. It has to be eternal, unfalsifiable. It can't turn out to be false. And it has to be of all propositions because any additional proposition would give him that much added value. Chernuk is describing not the biblical God, but again, a God of pagan philosophy. This is not the deity described in the Bible. All right. Thanks for listening.